I just had no idea. So I don't think there's any difference than diet culture and wellness culture, except wellness culture is sneaky because who doesn't want to be well? That That's really the biggest difference. It just is not. It's just insidious everywhere. Welcome to Equipped to Recover, where we explore the intersection of recovery stories and eating disorder science to show you that recovery is not only possible, it is worth it. I'm Erin Parks, co-founder and chief clinical officer at Equip Health, and today I am so excited because I'm being joined by two of my colleagues, Dori Steinberg and Laura Cohen. We're here today to discuss wellness culture and how it relates to disordered eating. You're about to see why Dory and Laura are the perfect people to come on and discuss this. And before I get into the many, many questions I have for both of you, I'd love for you to give kind of a long intro to our listeners about who you are and your own journey through wellness culture and to where you're at today. So Dory Steinberg, would you kick us off? Sure. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. So I'm Dory Steinberg. I am a VP of research at Equip and my story is a really interesting one. And for really the last two decades, I spent doing a lot of research in the areas of weight loss and trying to help people get health by managing their weight, um, reduce their potential for disease, et cetera, all connected to weight with the thought that if we can do that, we can improve health on so many parameters. And it really wasn't until I finally got treatment for my own eating disorder that I really realized the harm of that entire paradigm and the work that I was doing. I'm also a registered dietitian. I had this fascination with health really early in life and and the idea that you can control it, particularly through what you eat, how much exercise you get and your weight. But I've learned later that really a lot of that was driven by the eating disorder that developed early in childhood. I mean, weight was very central to my life and both drove my career decisions and um, a lot of the choices I made about how I wanted to spend my time. So finally getting recover, uh, recovered, you know, three decades later, I have seen a whole new lease on life and how that we, you know, all the harms that are happening with our thoughts about wellness and weight and health and how we really need to do a lot of unlearning to improve things. Well, Dory, I am so glad you're here to talk with us today. And I think that our other guest, our other colleague who you know well, Laura Cohen, has some similarities in her story. Laura, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Hi, so my name is Laura Cohen, and I was a registered dietitian. That was my background. I went to school after growing up in Miami, Florida, and being surrounded by bodies, bodies, bodies. At a young age, I learned about dieting and how to lose weight, and I actually went to a registered dietitian at the age of 16. I was so intrigued by what she did that that's what I decided to go to school for became a dietitian, uh, got my master's in nutrition, the whole nine yards, and got into the field and quickly started to realize that I really wanted to help solve the obesity with very heavy air quotes epidemic because that what was what was going on in that time in the world. And what I started to realize was how come I was seeing all these patients and these clients and they weren't having success. And I couldn't understand it. I just thought that I wasn't a good dietitian. And went through this for a couple of years and got out of the field, um, decided to raise my kids, wanted no part of being a dietitian. I didn't find it impactful. 
and decided to become aligned. You're going to love this one, guys, because of what we're talking about. I decided to become aligned with a wellness company because I told myself I was very against diets. So if I aligned myself with a wellness company, I'm going to tell people how to feel better. Well, the idea behind the wellness company obviously was to make money and was really to try to help people lose weight with products. And because I had the professional background, I was a rock star. And um, it, it was 11 years of my life. I was very successful. I learned a lot until my daughter was diagnosed with anorexia nervosa and um, started to dismantle really what diet culture was as I was someone who was against it. Little did I know that I was part of it. I was part of the problem. And it took me a little while to come around to realize that. And uh, it, it really just took my, my daughter's, my daughter's um, diagnosis and then me diving more into things. And um, I'm a family mentor at Equip now, helping families get through the process of while, their, while their kiddos are in eating disorder recovery. And I'm a proud anti-diet practitioner. Laura, I absolutely love your story, and I love how every time I talk with someone on here, I learn a little bit more about them. Um, something that is so fascinating that is true for both Laura and Dory, both of you had a lot of success in your past careers, a lot of it. You didn't leave your careers in the diet industry, in the wellness industry, because you weren't doing well. Both of you were well-respected, well-known in your fields. And I think that's one of the reasons I've always just been so drawn to and fascinated by both of you. It's easy to walk away from things when they're not going well. It is so challenging to walk away when things are going great. Uh, so Dory, I'd love to start with you and tell us a little bit about that, that change that happened for you mentally to decide to walk away from something that you were excelling at by anyone's standards. Yeah, it's such a good question. It was such a hard transition. Um, I was a researcher, professor, and like you said, very successful, um, doing very well, got multi-million dollar grants to understand how we can really help people lose weight, um, that, you know, that's the way to improve health. And by all means, I was doing very well. And Really, though, I think there was for me like a Jekyll and Hyde, like I, there was a facade of like I was a successful researcher professor on the outside, but internally really struggling with perfectionism, anxiety, you know, this idea that I needed to be perfect when it comes to my own weight and eating, because here I am talking about this and researching it and being the wise, all-knowing person. And I really struggled with that I was a human who had an eating disorder, didn't know that at the time, but just like had struggles like anybody else, you know? And I think a lot of things kind of brought things to a head for me, but that when I realized that I really needed help, that the internal struggle, the voice with inside was so loud, the critic voice, I like to say that I just couldn't function anymore um, and decided that I needed to get help. Um, at first I thought, oh, I'm just really anxious person. It's postpartum stuff. I had my second kid, but it was really through many years, probably five years of, of digging into this to realize, oh, there's, there's more to this. And I finally went to tre a treatment center for my eating disorder because it wasn't just anxiety. That was just a, another thing that was happening. And it was during that treatment. And this is why I'm such a big proponent of access to treatment when we're doing an equip here is that that's when that real aha moment happened. 
you know, it wasn't in the outpatient therapy on the couch. It was like really being around other people who similarly struggling with an eating disorder and owning the fact that I can be a registered dietitian, a successful researcher and have an eating disorder. And when I say owning for me, it's by working through and feeling and not letting it take over me the shame that came with that story. There, there was so much shame. I just remember dripping in shame in those rooms. Like, how could I be all this and still struggle? It's, it's amazing looking back. And it was, it was in those rooms. It was in those meetings and those groups and hearing other people's stories and realizing that, you know, all my life I've struggled with this and that I don't want to struggle anymore. Um, I remember being one group in particular where we were talking about basically what we're saying today, wellness and this, and this idea of just like, is health achievable for everybody? And what's that line between it being weight and diet culture and just like, we eat healthy and, but, and then struggling with like, but all foods fit and can everybody get health? Like all these different things swimming in my brain and the conflict and having to have dig deep to say everything I've learned for two decades. Is that something that I'm, is that real? And it was that really leading to my, you know, how much was that was tied to my eating disorder. And I, I remember it was during those moments of, I remember that aha moment happening of like, wow, I don't think I can do any of this work anymore. It's so harmful. And of course that was, it wasn't just like, aha, after that and easy and beautiful and, you know, breezy, but it was after that moment, I was kind of like, how can I get out of this in a way that feels good for my values? But again, perfectionism, people pleasing, big part of my disorder as well. And I don't want to disappoint people. You know, I've worked with a lot of people for many decades and they've helped me get to where I was and how could I do that? And ultimately I just got to a point through a lot of therapy and talking through it of just like, I can't do this for myself. It's both harmful for my own recovery, but also for others, you know, and again, sitting with that shame and that's okay. I'm processing that. And then eventually getting to a point of saying, I have to take care of myself and my recovery. And once I made that decision, I was just honest with people. I was like, I'm not a perfect person. Um, I'm struggling. And what I realized is I need to kind of shout it from the rooftops in order to heal myself and then to get rid of all that shame. And, and that's what I did. And ultimately that got me to a place to realize I got to move away from this successful career, which ultimately was harming me <laughs> and find a better place. And wonderfully found equip where I can do still use my research skills and help people and really see the importance of how we can treat eating disorders. Dory, I, I love your story and I appreciate so much your vulnerability and willingness to share it. And it's such a good reminder that how our culture defines success is maybe not how we should define it. And for you, success has been when you feel like you're in alignment with your values, when you feel good at work. 100%. Alignment with values is, is my value. <laughs> Laura, for so many of our listeners, they might be like, wait, but wellness culture is good. So what is diet culture and what is wellness culture? And you're someone that's moved, like deliberately moved through them. You were in diet culture. Then you moved to wellness culture and now you're where you are today. Can you help uh, tell your story of those mental shifts and also explain what they are and if they are different or not? It's a great question. And actually, when we talked about questions for this podcast, I looked at it and I'm like, I don't really know the difference. But the, the, here's the truth. The reason why I don't know the difference is there's no difference. That's, that's really the, the short and long of it, right? So what is it? Um, you, 
about putting, what is, what is the quote that you talk about? Like wolf in sheep's clothing. <laughs> totally. That's how I look at it. So I stood on my haunches, like on my pedestal for so many years of, I don't believe in diets. I'm anti-diet. Here I was 100% telling people, this is just a healthy lifestyle. This isn't a diet. It's just a lifestyle. I, I don't believe in diets. Meanwhile, if I tell you how many calories a day I was telling people to eat on this healthy lifestyle, it was worse than a diet. And I just had no idea. So I don't think there's any difference than diet culture and wellness culture, except wellness culture is sneaky because who doesn't want to be well? That That's really the biggest difference that there just is not. It's just insidious everywhere. It's so well said that people are like, I might not want to be on a diet, but I do want to be well. Wellness culture sounds like the morally superior thing to do. And it sounds like it certainly tricked all three of us into thinking it was the way. What was the epiphany like for you, Laura, of realizing, oh, wait, wellness culture is just diet culture? And just like Dory, you were very, very successful in the wellness culture space. So, so many of our listeners have moved from the diet culture to the wellness culture. How do they now make this mental move from the wellness culture to realizing that those things are both diets and we need to be anti-diet? Um, and so I would love to hear about your mental shift while having success. Yeah, I have such a vivid memory of exactly when it happened. Uh, where I was sitting, what I was doing, I was sitting on my little favorite chair that I have coffee on every morning with my dog. And I was reading a book called Anti-Diet by Chrissy Harrison. And, and then I started to like look at my own values and things. Like you have to that's one thing that happens with a lot of parents when they go through recovery with their child is it really puts the mirror right up to your own face. Um, so I had a couple of aha moments before this. I remember sitting in the chair and I was reading this book. And usually these books, like after three chapters, I'm done. They're great. I put them down. This one I could not put down. And all of a sudden, the tears were rolling down my face. And I was even in the chapter that I was reading to make it even harder it was the, the book was pretty much set in the exact time that I was doing my schooling. So all the, the players, like I was there in the eight, 89 and 93 and all these years, that's when I was getting my education. The director of my program at NYU, she kept being quoted in, in this chapter. And I'm like, oh my gosh, as I'm crying, I'm crying, I'm crying. And I was just like, I can't believe this. How, how did I believe this for 25 years? And I remember I had to make an appointment with my own therapist to really just like process this with me. Like I, I was depressed for a couple of days. Um, so guilty over so many things. And even through the years, like I'll have flashbacks of things that I said to people that, I mean, certain customers, one that I can't leave my brain is I had, um, two moms that were nervous to start my program because they didn't want it to look bad for their daughter. Here's me. I'm literally telling these moms, you're just getting yourself healthy. This is really good for your daughter to see. There's no reason your daughter shouldn't see this. That's one of those memories that haunts me at night. Um, because now that I'm in the shoes that I'm in, I harmed that family. Um, so yeah, there's been a lot of aha moments, but that day sitting in that chair reading that book that I recommend to everyone who doesn't understand the journey, um, that was that was my pivotal moment. And I've like even written to Christy Harrison to be like, 
your book literally was that that fire that just it just made me have that pivot. Um, yeah, it was it was really painful, and I'm sure Dory can under you know feels the same way. It was a very painful process, and I became just as Dory said, I became loud and proud, and continue to be. So, Laura, it's very interesting that you said that, that book was pivotal, and for me, and you know, big, another big thank you to Christy Harrison is her podcast, Food Psych, was really important for me to hear other stories, and in particular, hear other dietitians who have had an eating disorder and went through this process. And it's just so fascinating. And I think part of this, at least for me, was like, oh, I'm the only one no one else is like dealing with this. And, um, you know, it's it's like a the silent epidemic that it's happening to a lot of people and we're not talking about it. So just hearing people's stories. So it was really pivotal. And it was through that podcast. I also had an aha moment. One of the things that I both find inspirational but kind of scary is that the two of you had to work really hard to leave that former mindset. And our entire culture is bathed in it. We've all been taught calories in, calories out. We've all been taught thin equals healthy. We've all been taught that certain foods are good and certain foods are bad. And then you all went and got advanced degrees and learned it even more. These are hard things to unlearn. What advice do you have for someone who agrees that diets don't work, but still believes in wellness, health and wellness? Dory, why don't you start us out? I think that's the $10 million question. You know, I think um, I often grapple with with people today too. And, you know, I think this is a process of like, well, but, you know, salt is still not good for your blood pressure and you should eat less salt. And it's like, maybe. And maybe not like this is it's really it's not a clear cut kind of thing which the wellness culture and diet culture and really messaging is like very clear um i think though one thing i always tell people is like if you're having any distress around i'm not doing the right thing or you're you're kind of like i'm i shouldn't eat that i can't believe i eat bad any of those kinds of words that you're really like indicating that to yourself that you're doing something bad or you are bad you know that shame piece then that's a sign that there's something going on here and we need to figure out that, you know, you're a human who might want to have a piece of cake sometimes or might want to have just a salad for lunch. I really like that. And, you know, wellness culture also has started to align with biohacking, right? Everything from intermittent fasting to cold baths to meditation and not everything is bad and not everything is good. And I think using that as the barometer of how does it make me feel when I try to do these things, when I do these things, how do I feel when I don't do these things? I listened to a podcast once and someone was trying to meditate two hours in the morning and two hours at night and was missing out on family events and their spouse was very mad at them for working or sitting in a room meditating, right? So things are not all good or all bad. I used to have a lot of distress if I couldn't get my exercise in that day. I was like, oh, it's going to be a bad day. Like that kind of thought product. It's not that exercise is, exercise is good, but is if it's bringing up those thoughts, then that's the flag. I was going to, my, um, I'll, I'll tell my dad here for a second. My dad was a dermatologist and we lived in sunny Florida and he was a dermatologist. Most dermatologists, when you think about a dermatologist, you think about a lot of, um, you know, products and that, and he never would get into products he was very similar to me, like just very cynical and very like to the point like, yeah, that wrinkle cream not going to work. So that that's the background that I grew up with. 
And I mean, I totally remember him being interviewed on, on 2020, we're going to date ourselves now with John Stossel. And it was on some like boob lifting cream. And I remember, I mean, I was so young, but I totally remember this. And he was like, yeah, if someone wants to wear this and they think it makes their boobs look better, then fine, wear it. And that was always the attitude that as long as it's not going to hurt you and you want to go do those things and go do them, maybe, maybe they do this. It, but it's when you cross that line to Dory's point is when it becomes, you know, a problem, when you're not able to enjoy your life, when your kids are getting ice cream or you're, you hear your children start to say, you know, to their, to their friends, oh, I can't have that. It's got too much sugar. Um, you know, all those things when your words are coming out of their mouths, that's a problem. E even if you're proud of you at, you know, at times you'd be like, I'm so proud of my kid that they just did, said that they didn't want that because it had too much sugar. And you're really thinking you're actually teaching them, you know, dangerous behaviors. I love that, Laura. And I think this goes into my next question is how you've taken your work as a dietitian, your work in the wellness culture, your amazing work as a mother. And now you are a family mentor at Equip. And for those that, that don't know, family mentor is a profession at Equip where you work directly with families who are helping their loved ones recover from an eating disorder using not only your personal experience, but also your knowledge and your toolbox and your lived experience to help them navigate their strange new reality. And would love to hear how does, I, I have to imagine almost every family that you meet has bought into the culture that surrounds all of us. Tell us more about how you deal with that. Um, it's, it's equally fulfilling and hard, I, I think is the best way to put it. Um, I also come with so much compassion and so much empathy to my families, knowing how I walked in probably even more along those lines than they did. And when I hear the language and the word, like I can spot it. I'm like a little diet culture spy. So I have to say, I bring it to my work every single day. Um, it's so, so helpful because I'm able to know where they are. And I also truly believe that people are doing what they think is right. Just like I truly thought I was doing what was right. So that's the lens that I, I come in with of validating that because I, again, for 25 years thought I was doing what was right. So that's usually what I would say at first. And then I slowly am able to break that down. Um, it's a process. I don't expect them to believe it at first because as you said, I didn't believe it at first, but it brings so much to the table that I'm able to sit in that space with them. And often, as I said, we they're putting the mirror up to themselves. Often they're realizing that they had disordered eating. Maybe they didn't have a full-blown eating disorder, but there was disordered eating or disordered exercise or all those things. I mean, I never had an eating disorder, but I sure as heck, you know, lived by a lot of rules that don't exist in my home anymore. Um, and I very gently am able to meet them in that place. I don't shame them, um, but I'm 100% able to have that discussion. Do some of them not listen? 100%. <laughs> not everyone listens, and that's okay. I'm here to give that information and you know back it up with my lived experience and my profession, my past profession, and they can choose to do what they want with it. I love that. I think there's so much good advice there for our listeners. So first, if you are on your own journey, moving from wellness culture into a mentally more peaceful anti-diet state, 
be grace, give yourself grace. Know that this takes time. This isn't just one single moment. Um, and then if you're trying to help your loved ones move along, this is such a great reminder, Laura, that it's it's a slow process and really show them a lot of compassion because they grew up, we all grew up just drowning in this. Dory, what are the like the research, the facts? What are the things that we give people that help their brain move from wellness, air quote wellness? to a more anti-diet place. Anything that you found that you're like, these are the two facts that I just go to the most or that help people? I think the one fact to know is that a very small percentage of people are actually able to quote unquote successfully lose weight and keep it off. And I think like for me, I was like, okay, so that the numbers are low. We could keep trying different things to get people to do it. I can create the most successful program. It's just, we'll try the next best thing. But the truth is, that decades and decades of research showing that only a very small percentage of people, what is it exactly? Is it 5%, 10%? I don't know because it's, it's not like super clear when it comes to the research, but it doesn't really matter the exact number. It's that it's not large. It's very small. And, and even if it's at 80% of people will not be successful and they will go back, that's way too big for us to say weight loss is what you should do. And I think you know, that's one piece of fact to say, like, even if weight was connected with health, which I'm not convinced it is now, um, even though I've lived in that world, um, it's, it's not going to be something that you can change. And I think that's really hard to sit with knowing what we've been learning for a very long time. Um, Because we think it's our fault. We think it's our, we have that under control that we can actually change this if we just were stronger willpower, you know, we we followed it better. um, Or there's the new thing coming out that's going to help us like intermittent fasting, you know, or something like that, or cutting out all carbohydrates, you know, but the the truth is, it doesn't matter that we really can't change this, just like I can't change that I have naturally, I have dark hair or that my height is what it is, like all parts of our body are really what they are. And that's what I, I think is such a still a fascinating thing for me is that we, we have so much diversity in bodies and we, we kind of accept that for a lot of things. Like there are going to be people with brown hair, blonde hair, blue eyes, whatever, tall, short, but we haven't accepted it when it comes to weight and body size that like, we think we should all be one small, all small bodies. And that's just not like something that's not possible and plausible. So I think that's a fact that people should really know and really hear, you know, as as somebody who's lived in this and, and, you know, it's not something that's really possible. We're chasing something that's not there. So um, that's one stat I like to make sure people know. And I think the second one is just that the connection between weight and health is really complicated. And we know that weight stigma, when someone experiences stigma around their weight, has incredibly detrimental impacts on their health. And if somebody who's in a larger body is having health issues, it may not be because of their weight themselves. It may be the weight stigma that they are actually experiencing. And we're seeing more and more and more research coming out about that link. Um, and I just want people to realize like that may be more detrimental to your health than the actual weight. Thank you for sharing that. I do remember you saying to me once, if we had a medication that only worked for five out of 100 patients, would we be prescribing that to them first? And yet, in doctor's offices all around the country, when you go in with a complaint, the first thing they suggest is diet and exercise so you can lose a little bit of weight. We're like, wait, but we know that only works for maybe five of 100 people, and why are we prescribing Even if it's 20 of 100 people. Yes. We do not 
prescribe as the very first course of medicine for anything, something that only works for 5, 10, or 20% of the population, with the exception of dieting. And that was a big aha moment for me, Dory. And because I've been on my own journey of recognizing my fat bias and recognizing my place in diet culture and the ways in which the eating disorder field has really been complicit in diet culture. So you've really helped teach me a lot. Laura, do you have any favorite anecdotes or favorite things you say to help move people a little bit further along in their journey away from wellness and towards actual health? I can't think of any. (laughs) You you got me on one. No, I just think that really sharing my journey is impactful in and of itself with people. Um, I definitely bring up the, you know, what what Dory was just talking about, about how weight, sustainable weight loss, because there'll be people who'll be like, oh, well, I I know I can lose weight and -and so-and-so lost weight. And I'm like, or this study, you know, where I worked, they talked about the study and now I can look at it so differently. Well, of course you can lose weight. It's a two-year study, because I think that it was a two- or three-year study, you still can show that, but it's that long-term. So I'm very quick to point those things out to them, to really give them facts instead of just what they, another heavy air quote, say. Um, just giving them that, that reality, but really saying that I believed that too. I believed that too um, really helps the most. And I just want to add that even if someone can lose weight and they can't keep it off and keep it off for a year and then it comes back, we, what we don't know is at what cost, like what is happening to, uh, to that person that they're working so hard to keep that weight down that we're not measuring, you know, how much distress are they experiencing? Are they, are they having disordered thoughts? Likely are they, you know, struggling and to manage their emotions likely like this is this is where I think we just don't know really much about what happens during that process and then of course inevitably it does come back for most people and then you're like wait but what did I do wrong right and it's that again that's that cycle that continues and diet culture wellness culture is just feeding that like saying yeah it's you it's you so yeah you got your before and after photo that gets posted right and you're so excited to post the after and then you gain that weight back. And then you don't want to go in public because you don't want people to see you because you don't look like that after picture anymore. And then it's, again, just to Dory's point, then you're, you're blaming yourself and you're shaming yourself in that whole cycle. And it's not you that's the problem. It's the diet that's the problem. I love this. Laura and Dory, it has been such a pleasure having you here. And the two of you give me so much optimism for our culture. If the two of you who were so steeped in diet culture and wellness culture, who made amazing, successful careers in the wellness culture, can move your mind forward, can take in new information and choose a new path. It really makes me think that anyone can. So thank you so much for sharing your stories with us today. And I want to wrap up with something that's kind of fun. It's a little bit of kind of a lightning round. So I'm going to say these quick questions, and then you just say kind of the first thing that comes to your mind can be a word, can be a sentence, no right or wrong answers. So finish the following statement with your first thought. Laura, connection is? Vital. Dory, body image is? Uh, A process. Laura, diet culture is? Everywhere, even when you think it's not. And last question, Dory, recovery is? Possible for anyone. 
I want to thank you both for coming today, for sharing your wisdom with our listeners as they either battle their eating disorders, battle diet culture, or figure out how to help a loved one battle diet culture. Um, listeners can stay in touch with you by going to the Dory. I think you're active on Twitter. What's your what's your Twitter handle? Dr. Dory RD. And Laura, where can people find you? Uh, the best two places are Instagram, Laura Cohen 17. And I also have a private Facebook group called The No Way Way. So way as in how you weigh yourself, W-E-I-G-H-W-A-Y. Anti-diet space on Facebook. An anti-diet space on Facebook, The No Way Way. Fantastic. Thank you both so much for your time today and for all the incredible work you've put out into the world, both at Equip and what you do even more broadly uh, to be a voice for recovery and to help fight the diet culture and wellness culture that permeates everything. I so appreciate both of you and the difference that you're making. And thank you for being with us today. Thank you for listening to Equip to Recover. Remember, recovery is not only possible, it is worth it. Find out more about Equip and how you can access treatment that works over at equip.health.